Left. Right. Bad jobs. We've all had them. Some of us have them. Uh, but either way, they are interesting stories to tell. And uh, they make us who we are. And they shape our future. So James and I today are talking about some of the bad jobs that we've had. I would love for you to share in the comments some of the worst jobs that you've ever had, what they entailed, and what the worst parts were. And if you feel up for it, let me know what the best job you've ever had or have is. Um, I look forward to sharing this story with you, so uh, let's go down that rabbit hole right now. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. I, I didn't take a nap, so that, that helped. Let's just jump right into it. Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 38. I think this will be pretty cool. We're talking about the worst jobs you've had, so I want a lot of user input as to some bad jobs, why they were bad. Um, and I really want to dig into what makes a shit job a shit job. What uh, what number of jobs do you think you've had, James? Right off the rip. Somewhere between eight and ten. Eight and ten. That's a lot. That's a lot. If that's counting some of like the the small jobs that I worked in high school or whatever, but let's say since I graduated college, worked at Dick Sporting Goods was an equipment manager for Charleston Battery, substitute teacher, worked at two different hotels, that's five right there, worked at two different restaurants, two different accounting firms, that's nine. I'm probably missing one in there. Yeah, if you think of it, but let's backtrack a little bit. What do you get to drink over there? I am drinking a fresh press, Guava, mango, and pineapple IPA by Wicked Weed. That looks nice. Yeah, it's a really good late fall drink because it's still got a little bit of like sweetness for the summer, but starts to bitter it up a little bit. Yeah, I'm just going. I got. I'm, I'm going to hit the gym after this, so. I'm still recovering from Sunday. For those of you who can see me, I'm still beat red from being out in the sun for four and a half hours running around getting yelled at. I'm jealous of you. It would have been nice to get some sun lately. Yeah, it reminded me of how bad I, my cardiovascular shape is. So. Yeah, tell me about that. Shit. Well, I'm still recovering in the foot department, so I'm, I'm getting there, though. Picking up some speed. Um, so, um, and I want to invite you guys, you're watching us right now. Uh, good evening from New Jersey. Um, what I want to know is the, the worst jobs that you guys have had. If you're watching us on live, please uh, throw a comment in there. Just give me uh, the job title at the very least or, or why it was bad. Um, so just now that we got a couple more online, run through your jobs again, highlighting probably the, the worst three. All right. So the worst three would be Dick Sporting Goods one of the restaurants that I worked at and one of the substitute teaching assignments that I had. The substitute teaching wasn't all bad, but there was one particular assignment that was terrible. 
Well, what, what made the Dick Sporting Goods job so bad? So when I was in college, I was an assistant manager of a soccer shop in Albany, New York. And it was a great college job because I'd, I'd finish up my classes and then I'd go and work from like three to nine, four or five days a week. And like, it was really when the owner was there, then he kind of called the shots. But when he wasn't there, I got to do whatever I wanted. And like, if I wanted to order something, I ordered. If I wanted to like redo the merchandising, if I wanted to like just anything involved with running the store, I got to do. And like the owner would ask me about it later. He'd be like, why'd you do that? And I'd give him a reason. be like, all right. Like, as long as I didn't do anything stupid, then the owner was cool with it. So I had a lot of responsibility and I got to learn a lot about retail and it was nice because it was a smaller shop. So I got to, it was never like corporate or anything. It was the owner's brother was my manager and then there was the owner and I knew both of them. So when I moved down to South Carolina, I very quickly needed to get a job. And so I just walked into Dick's Sporting Goods and like, all right, I already know retail. I know shoes. So I got a job in the footwear department at Dick's Sporting Goods. And the thing that sucked about it was all the decision-making processes that I enjoyed about my job in Albany were gone. When I would look at the way that they would set up their, like set up their displays or whatever that like, I was just like, none of this makes sense. Like you guys are like, this is not how you want to display shoes. If you want to sell like the higher value ones, this is not how you sell shoes, but I couldn't make any changes because they would send pictures of what the footwall needed to look like from corporate. So if I wanted to make any changes, they just say, how come that your display doesn't match from corporate? And I, it just, it, it became just, the other thing that really annoyed me was they would constantly give us all sorts of busy work that didn't really do anything to increase sales or increase customer satisfaction, but it made it so that we never were able to like get caught up on work because every week or so, we'd have to take a display and just move it to like the other side of the floor. And it's not as simple as just wheeling a table somewhere. Like we'd have to fully take it apart. And I called it just like the, the retail version of a Chinese fire drill, where it was just moving all this stuff around for no real reason. And if you're a customer, it's annoying because you, like if you saw something and you thought about buying it, but you decided to come back another day or whatever, now you can't find it because it's in a different place in the store. Yeah. So there were a whole bunch of other things that really bothered me about that place. But if they were if they were paying me more, I probably could have dealt with it more. But I was getting paid less there than I was for the job that I was working in New York, and I had like more more asked of me, but less responsibility to be able to like make any changes that I thought would make everyone's lives easier. Well, so I lasted about three months and quit, and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. I remember that job. I remember your relief. Let me just run through real quick some of the bad jobs we got here. Uh, what are we doing with the split screen? Yeah, I think that's better. I hope you guys like the split screen. Uh, I work for an insurance and it's horrible working for this boss of mine. Uh, retail sales are the worst. Um, I worked in a high school volume call center for healthcare issuer, um, or a high, a high school, a high volume call center. I'm like a high school insurer. Uh, yeah. Call centers can be tough. Um, uh, call centers sound pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what I was trying to figure out is really what makes a bad job, bad job hours. I think that's a big one, not having consistent hours or having just kind of being asked to work really long hours with little breaks. Yeah. Well, because you lose, especially, yeah, cause it really infringes on your outside life. Yep. Um, which is one thing I love about real estate is, you know, we're doing it. It's not 
even though we do work a lot of hours, like you, you can kind of create your life out of it. And unless you want to be gardening in your off time, like, you know, your job is meeting people, hanging out, looking at properties. If you like that stuff, it's a good job for you to be doing on a full-time basis. And once you get going, you can kind of have some flexibility with a client where you say, Hey, these are some times I'm available and they can meet you. So mm-hmm. you're not kind of chained to an office desk for a certain period of time. Um, and then, so I get the, the hours. Yeah. And you're not chained to a desk where else get hours. Um, and then I have colleagues and that goes colleagues in management. Exactly. It could be, it could be management. It could be your boss. It could be the people that work for you. Um, if you're around people that you don't get along with or don't treat you well, that's going to have a really impact, big impact on quality of life, I think, and, and quality of life while you're living at the job. Um, so I could see thinking you're taking a good job and then landing on a spot where you're just miserable because of the people around you. I could see that being a big, big yeah, It could be a good job on paper, but if your colleagues it aren't pleasant to be around or if management doesn't treat you well, then it doesn't matter what you're getting paid or if you like the actual work you're doing, the environment surrounding it can be miserable enough that you'll hate it. Exactly. Um, and then, and then what I had lastly, although you kind of described this as one of your main things is what you're actually doing on the job. Because I think if you're getting paid enough money, uh, and you're around people that you like, well, I, I didn't actually get into pay yet, but, but obviously you're taking the job. It's got to meet your pay requirements. Um, but what you're doing, I think kind of matters the last, the last, that's my, maybe my opinion on it. You're taking a job. So like, I don't think anyone's really going into insurance or a call center or a shoe shop out of sheer passion. You know, you might be, you might love shoes, but, but going, going. Let me, let let me, let me elaborate on that for a little bit. Cause one thing that I hear, and I'm sure everyone that's listening has heard this, which is like, find, find some, find something that you love to do and do that for work. And then you'll never work a day in your life. And that's such a stupid idea because there are so many jobs out there that like, you can't expect to love. Like it's such a privileged thing to say, like I get to do this and I love it. And like most people don't get to have that. That's just so utterly unrealistic. Exactly. So. But also like you may like soccer, but it doesn't mean you want to make soccer balls or, you know, you like (laughs) Well, even with refereeing, which I like, like there's times where I go out and I'm just like, I don't really feel like being here, but it's like, I'm a professional, so I'll go do it. But, but, but what you're saying is like, I like going, hanging out at a bar. I don't want to work at the bar. I want to have a few drinks, get hammered and talk to people. I don't want to have to do any work. You know, but I, I look at it as like, so here's one that you'll see. Like, so if you're an artist, if you like doodling or cartooning or anything like that, and then someone says, well, you should do graphic design or whatever because you're really good with art. But as soon as you start doing something and have to get paid for it, it really changes your relationship with that activity where what you used to be able to just kind of enjoy and do on your own time, now you've got other people kind of dictating how you do your work. And you also depend on it yeah, to, well, to pay. You so, that hobby, now that owns you. Mm-hmm. you know, it's literally paying you to do the work. So it's uh it's just a weird dynamic change that a lot of people i I, again you're exactly correct i don't like that 
find something you love doing, you, you're never going to work, you know. If everyone had that attitude, would would garbage ever get picked up? Exactly. Like, you like know, we need, those are necessary jobs and we should pay the people that are doing them. But when you take a second grader and you're like, what types of things do you like? That's the type of career you should pursue. Like, I, don't I know. like cookies and dinosaurs. Well, then you should be a baker and an archaeologist. We'll make cookies or dinosaur shaped cookies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So whenever I, here's a piece of advice that I've given to a number of people that I've found kind of rings true is that instead of like, it's pretty rare for you to wake up and be excited to go to work. There are some days where like I get to do something cool in the office that I'm actually excited to go in. If I'm meeting with a client that had like, that does something interesting and I get to learn, or if I'm working like field work for an audit or something, I actually enjoy that. But I don't think it's something that you should really expect to be able to wake up most mornings and be like, Oh boy, I get to go to work. Well, it so, I, I do, especially depending on kind of the direction things are going, how business is, there are a lot of days that I, I look forward to, but again, you know, I come into work, I get to hang out, I get to see people that I like and I get to shoot the shit and teach people and train people. Um, it's a, well, you know, then you're lucky to have that, but I don't think that's realistic for most people. So what I tell people is when you wake up in the morning and you have to go to work, there are two thoughts that can enter your head. The, the first one is, I can get through today versus how am I going to get through today? If, you, if every morning you wake up, you say, I can get through this, then, you gotta, then your job's fine. But if every day you're waking up and you're dreading going to work and you're saying, how am I going to be able to get through this today? How do I deal with it? That's when you need to leave. Yeah. I, especially when it's been too many days that you've had to do that. You know, if it comes up here and there. Yeah. Once or twice, fine. Positive. But, but if you're dreading going to work, which a lot On a of regular basis, a lot of people like Sunday night, Monday morning, like it really like, you know, upset or angry. Or they're just, you know, like short tempered. So you got to go to work the next day. Like that's, you're probably not in a good job. And at the very least, I think should be looking for other options. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're that type of miserable, um, by the way, my, my, it looks like things are pretty, pretty good. I got the live over here, um, but you're super choppy for me. I don't know if my computer is downloading something. I don't know if I told you this before. My mom has a barn. Have you, you ever been to her new house? It's not new anymore, but. No, been, she's been there for a while, but I've never been out there. She's been there for over a decade, um, but it's got a barn in the back, and it's this giant white barn, and it's got, it, you know, it, 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 I could be wrong on this, but it's, and you have to ask my sister on this one too, but I'm pretty sure she's been painting it every day for the last 10 years, and she sends regular pictures of the barn with like half of the paint, white paint chipping off and then like half a fresh coat of paint um, and shares it in, in a group chat with my sister and I on a regular basis. The only time we don't get them is like between November and April. Um, but she literally, she just sent one through. So I'm thinking maybe she's sending me like a, a video of, uh, of the exterior. Of yeah, the- it's got to be your download quality because my upload quality should be good. Like the only bandwidth that I'm using is this. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, so here's another example of like a job that was really terrible. And like this goes to kind of just management attitude. So this is a fine dining restaurant in Charleston. 
Um, so I only lasted there three days. They fired me, um, which like I was upset about for about a day because it sucks to get fired no matter what. But the more I thought about it, the better I felt about it. Cause I just, for one, they didn't, I didn't like the way that they treated me. And two, like they kind of promised me one thing. And then uh, once I got there, it was a very different role, but whatever the case is, this is to give you an idea as to what management's attitude was. So I was, I worked this job in the middle of June in Charleston and June's kind of a fickle month. Some days it can be nice. Other night, other times it can be really, really hot. I happened to pick the three hottest days in June to work there. And it was a restaurant that did primarily outdoor seating or like 50, 50 outdoor seating. And so the service kitchen that we had, they had like an open kitchen where the chef would cook and the sous chefs would work. And then they had kind of a service kitchen where other stuff would go. And that would be also where like plates and stuff would be bust. And the service kitchen didn't have AC and there was a dishwasher in there that spit out steam constantly every time it was run. So it was like 130 degrees in the kitchen and I had to be constantly running in and out of there. Now, the way that this worked is if you had reservations, you'd sit down for dinner. But if you wanted to just get drinks or an appetizer there, you didn't need to have a reservation and you could just kind of sit out on like a patio or something separate from the dinner guests and have your drinks and your appetizer. So we would serve both our regular dinner service and then just whoever wanted to come in for drinks. And so one night I I was helping some people that were just there for drinks. So I go up, I get their order. And after I take their order, they ask if I could get them some water. And I said, of course, it's 95 degrees out. And like I put my order in with the bar, let the bartender know what drinks he needs to make and everything like that. I go into the kitchen and the ice maker was in the service kitchen and the service kitchen's super hot. And so the ice maker doesn't have too much of a heat differential to be able to like make a lot of ice. So we're super low on ice. So I get some glasses, I put some ice in the glasses and I start putting some water in them to bring them up to the guests because that's what they wanted. And one of the problems was like, they had like three or four managers trying to manage a service team of like four or five people. So it was too many cooks in the kitchen when it came to management of service. But one of the managers, I don't know, let's call him like the head manager or whatever, the, like their food and bev operations. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm getting some water for these guests upstairs. And I'm putting ice. In. He's like, why are you putting ice in? I'm like, because it's 95 degrees. He's like, did they ask for ice? And I just said yes. Because yeah. like. That's on your part. Yeah. And so I just walked up and I just like, I was blown away. Like, have you been outside? Do you know how it is? How reasonable is it for me to bring them up non-ice water when they're paying like $14 a drink and $22 an appetizer? And so after that, that was my last day. Um, a little while later, the, the manager who hired me comes up to me and she says, I just heard that interchange between you and so-and-so. And He's like, I, she's like, I have no idea why he would ask that. Like, how dumbass a question is it? Yeah. And, I, but that just gives you the attitude of like, what are, you, what are you prioritizing with your restaurant? What are you prioritizing with your staff? Are you, are you thinking about what you're saying? And so then later on that night, the head chef fired me and said that I wasn't fitting in. I was like, what did I do wrong? And he didn't answer me. He's just like, yeah. And then like the, the lady who hired me reached out to me a little while later and she's like, I don't really, I'm pretty upset about it too. Like this, this wasn't, I was expecting it. I don't think that you deserve that. And she's like, we can meet up sometime. And then some time passed by, I reached out to her again and I reached out to her work address, her work email address. And I got an email from somebody saying like, yeah, she's no longer with the company. So she must've left for 
similar reasons that I did. But it was just, again, sometimes all it takes is just one little interaction for you to realize what the priorities of a company are. And you're just like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, uh, I think the service industry can be really tough um, because obviously you have to be respectful of the restaurant and, you know, you got to be pushing the fish when you know the fish is about to turn. Um, but you also want to be doing your best to meet the customer's demands and give them the best, the best dining experience that should always be your priority is the customer experience because if the customer experience is if you have a one day where you push fish that's one that's close to being passed and the customers don't like it they might not say anything but they'll tell all their friends the fish that i had there wasn't all that great but if you take the hit on just letting the fish go bad and throwing it out and give the customers fresh fish now they're going to be happy and even though you took a loss on that day you ended up gaining or retaining yes, followers. That's why I'm saying it's a fine line. You can't take a loss that many days in a row in terms of, so you've got to know, you have to know. Well, if, if, if you're taking that's a loss that many days in a row, then it's poor inventory management. Exactly. But, but, you know, it happens time to time, you know, people may want fish for whatever, whatever reason is, but you need to be keen to what's going on. And you also need to know how to walk that fine line. Um, and, and really it comes down to communication skills also between management and the people that are there. Yeah. Um, I want to tell you one of my favorite jobs, which was also probably one of the crappiest jobs I ever had, and that was delivering pizza, which I thought was probably the coolest job ever because you get to drive. Do you remember me working at a pizzeria? Because I worked there for like two and a half. Yeah, I drove around with you. Like I, I briefly worked as a pizza delivery driver too. Yeah, you just you drive around. You, you make money on tips. Gas was a hell of a lot cheaper back then. And uh, – you get free pizza and you just listen to the radio and cruise around all night. It didn't seem like a bad gig to me. And also anytime you show up someplace, people are happy to see you. That is definitely very true. That is definitely very true. Um, so we both worked, so you did some pizza delivery. We both worked as ski instructors, which you despised more than I did. Yeah, because I, I Part of it was like you had one year of seniority on me, which I don't begrudge, but it meant that you got the better assignments because there were days where it was like seven degrees and a 25 mile an hour wind. And I'm like <laughs> yelling at these four year olds to like point their toes together so that they don't so that they didn't fall face first on a one degree incline slope. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I liked it because I got really good at skiing that winter because I skied practically like probably three or four days a week. Yeah. Um, but first of all, there was no, like, we didn't get paid. Well, the pay like, our, our payment was a season pass. The payment was a season pass, free skiing. And then it was two hour and a half long lessons. So you're getting paid for three hours over the course of the full day. And I'm pretty sure it was minimum wage. No, I didn't get, I didn't get any money for the, the lessons. All I got was a season pass. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe because that we started that when we were like 14 years old. I think I was 15 for the one year that I did it. I just hated it because I didn't, it, it wasn't fun. I did. I don't like little kids. Like the, the times that I enjoyed it were the times where I was teaching the kids that were in like the eight to 12 range where they actually had some capabilities. But yeah. like when you've got four year olds or five year olds, what it really is is the parents are paying like the 20 or $30 for this four or five year olds lessons so that they can have an hour and a half of skiing to themselves. True, true. So I was being a babysitter, and I, I, I'm not a kid's person. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not that I'm bad with kids. I just generally don't enjoy the company of young children. And then we both worked for the wrestling coach when we were in high school during the summertime. That was a fun job. Um, which I enjoyed that job. It was basically we would go into these rental units that had been vacated, clear them out. Um, and Slap a fresh coat of paint on it. Basically, yeah. We'd do some minor repairs, uh, new paint, and, uh, and get somebody else in there real quick. But uh, we would find some cool shit. Like, you know, basically we're throwing people stuff away that had forfeited and surrendered their, their personal belongings. Yeah, he was a slumlord. We were, we were in some rougher areas. Well, I mean, he was a slumlord to the extent that we didn't take care of the property. But No, me, it was also that the, the prior tenants and the future tenants weren't taking care of the property. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's what that area, you know, that's what that area called for. I remember somebody... I remember some being some one of the tenants like yelling at him, being like, "Oh man, you're a slumlord." And he's like, "So that means you know, you're you're one of my tenants." That's man. not the best line that you got to be a witness to with him, though. <laughs> What's that? The I'll let you I'll let you share this. I, I wasn't there. I don't get to tell the story. I just know the word. Was this a trick? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember how that came up. But... It was something where like I I, I know the story vaguely where. It was the tenant was pissed about some kind of rent or some kind of charge that he put for the for the guy damaging the place. And um yeah, our our coach was just like was giving him kind of the standard legal mumbo jumbo that would justify or whatever. And the tenant's just like, Don't try and use that trickology on me. Yeah. And what, like what is trickology. Exactly. Um wow. I'm pretty sure he's still in prison right now for a whole bunch of financial fraud. Yeah. I don't want to get into that too much. I don't, I don't know all the details of it. Well, just, I, just it's a whole, just the headlines. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, so we did that. Um, I, I enjoyed that job. And then when we both moved to South Carolina, uh, I think I stumbled a little bit more than you did on the employment uh, startup part. Right. What was your, your first job right off the rip was Dick's. Yeah. Did that for about three months. Mine was, I know I was mowing, helping, I was mowing lawns. Um, There's a one guy who was like a psychic. I was going and doing like eye jobs for that guy. Um, you found the, the enterprise job pretty quickly. Yeah, but I was going out every single day and just handing out resume and going online, applying for places. I feel like you found that job somewhere between four and six weeks in, which isn't too bad. No, yeah, I would, I would say it's not too bad. Um, but I lived and, uh, and breathed job finding during, during that time. Uh, my worst job was an assistant to a New York City real estate broker. Yeah, I can imagine that might not be the most fun job. But, um, real estate, real estate, I will, actually, you know what? So, so what was your worst job? Um, By the way, the I'm one, reading comments. I'm reading when I said my worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the one that I probably ended up dreading the most was the, the assignment that I had teaching sixth or seventh grade science long term for a particular school where, like, I don't know exactly what happened before I got into that classroom. First of all, I don't have a teaching certification. Uh, I've got a I've got a bachelor's degree, which I can I can 
qualify to be a substitute teacher in South Carolina, but like I don't have a teaching certification. So I really shouldn't be in any classroom long-term because I just don't have the background. Yeah. Um, so some, I think what happened was like the, the teacher started off the year and then something happened about two months in and the teacher just left like suddenly, I don't know what happened, but teacher leaves, they get another teacher in there. That teacher makes it maybe five or six days. Mm-hmm. Then they interviewed me. So I came in and they provided me with one week's worth of lesson plans. Now I've never been in this school before. I don't know any of these students. I have never, I've never been exposed to the curriculum. So I don't know what I'm even supposed to be teaching. I, because again, I didn't go through, I didn't go to school for teaching and I especially didn't go to school for science. So I, I've got a decent basis in science, but there's a difference between liking science and knowing a little bit about it versus knowing how to teach sixth graders a specific curriculum. So anyways, they give me one week's worth of lesson plans and there I am. I made it a month. So I had to come up with lesson plans on my own for the yeah, next three weeks. Teacher at that, at that point. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I had to come up with lesson plans on my own. I had to come up with like, I had to be doing the grading and all that kind of stuff, the communication with parents. And the thing is, as a substitute teacher, I'm just paid on a per diem. I was paid 80 bucks a day. And yeah, like that, that didn't cover the time that I was putting in at home or anything else. I didn't get benefits. So like all the, like, yeah, sure. Teachers work plenty when they're in the middle of the school year from home or whatever, but their salary, they get benefits, they get all this other stuff. I got none of that, but I was still expected to do that same amount of work. And that's the the worst day by far. So I was responsible for turning in the grades and stuff. And so the grades that I turned in were about half mine because again, I took over kind of like halfway through the quarter. So half these grades weren't even made by me, but I turn in these grades and this was one of the more affluent schools. And so you had a whole bunch of kids that, first of all, the parents were way too involved. That's not to say that parents shouldn't be involved in their education, but there's a difference between checking up on your kid versus like volunteering in the school every single day to monitor what's going on inside the school. But I, I turned in the grades and there were, there were like kids that were in tears because like they got an A minus instead of an A or whatever. And I was just like, I'm getting yelled at for stuff that half of which wasn't my responsibility. Second, it wasn't even like I, I, I didn't, I'm doing my best here. I wasn't prepared for this. They didn't, the administration didn't give me the tools that I needed. And so I'm just getting eviscerated by everybody. And so the, the memory that I had, yeah, I'll speed up the story, but um, the, at the end of the day, I'm just kind of sitting there staring at a wall, wondering about all my life choices. And there's one student in the room who's waiting for his father to pick him up or something. And um, there's a pretty strict do not touch the students policy, which I fully endorse. Yeah. So I'm just star- sitting there staring at the wall. And this student had always been really well behaved and it was pretty smart. You're like, Mr. Boswell? Yeah. Like, you look like you had a rough day. Like, yeah, you're right about that. Like, you look like you'd use a hug. Like, yeah, I could use a hug. And then I, and, the hug? And, yeah, I gave the, I, I gave the kid a hug and that made my day because otherwise it would have, it would have been a miserable day from start to finish. And so uh-huh. that was one of those ones where like towards the end of it, I would wake up every single morning and be like, I have no idea how I'm going to get through today. 
Well, but that's what I'm saying. Once you get to that point, it's time to move on. Um, you know, and I, I mean, given I've had a high stress doing real estate, but you know, it's always something new and it's always something challenging. Um, we've got a comment here from Lisa about teaching being tough. Um, I, you know, I think everybody wants to get in teaching to a degree because I think there's a lot of people that want to get into teaching because they've all been exposed to that and they all, they want to do it better. It's almost like, yeah. you know, a lot of people want to be able to, to correct kind of misdoings that were done to them. It's the reason why a lot of people get into refereeing too, is because they've played sports and they're like, I've had so many bad referees. I want to go in and be one of the good ones. Yeah. That's, that's, that's insane. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think the mentality is kind of correcting the, the wrongdoings and, and, well, and it's also, you get to share your experience with other people and help them be able to avoid mistakes that you might've made. Yeah. Um, uh, you guys want to share some more lousy jobs? Let me know. I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious some, some shit jobs that you guys have had. What was your worst job? You haven't answered this. So my probably, so that's what I was going to get into. My, my best and worst job are probably the same. The worst time working ever was being a new real estate agent where you're broke as shit. You're literally just covered in sweat because you're running around or you're stuck outside in the rain running around, especially that's in New York City. So you're literally outside in the elements. You can't afford a cab. Uh, it doesn't make sense sometimes to subway from one place to the next. Plus the, sub, the nearest subway could be four or five blocks away. So and if you're broke as shit, then the $2.50 or whatever adds up. Well, yeah, if you're going back and forth, you know, when I first moved to New York City, I couldn't afford to take the subway $5 a day. Didn't make sense. And I had to walk a half mile to the subway and then when I, and, and then take the subway, transfer trains, and then walk a half mile to my office. So I have to spend $5 and walk. Walk a mile. Yeah. So I ended up just walking the two miles it took to get to the office, which, you know. It, it Look, made... I thought your office, I thought when you were living in Queens, that was not a two mile walk to Midtown. No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying when I first, when I, when I transferred from enterprise in South Carolina to Queens and I was, when I, like I said, when I first moved here, not when I was first. Oh, here. when you were subletting someplace in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. No, subletting, subletting someplace in, in Queens. Um, but I will say, yeah, worst job ever being a new real estate agent where you're expected to put in the most work and you kind of get the least in returns. Uh, then obviously it gradually got better kind of the scale tipped a little bit and where you're making more income and if you're doing the right stuff the job gets a hell of a lot easier and you have to do less and less of that lousy unfun type of running around and previewing apartments and listing apartments there's people that'll do that for you that you provide value to and then they provide value back to you through you know through doing more previewing for you and taking photos um, but, uh, for some reason I'm having some, I can't really interact with what's going on. The, all the comments and stuff aren't, um, aren't showing up, which is really, really frustrating and, and just kind of confusing to, to watch. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then, uh, you know, I worked in a gym for, uh, a little over three years. That was a, that was a decent job. Very relaxed. You get to work out for free. Um, you get showers there. So that was I remember you liking that job a lot. Yeah, and I'm now part of a, an enterprise rent-a-car ex-employee Facebook group, which is by far one of the busiest groups of people trading and exchanging stories. Uh, it's really crazy because a lot of us had very similar 
that job when I was in South Carolina was much cooler than it was in New York City. South Carolina, you're meeting people, you're greeting people, you're getting to know them, you're showing them cars, you're meeting different local businesses and sharing with them the idea of the businesses signing up for rental cars. Um, but in New York City, it was literally just a revolving door of one pissed off person after another pissed off person who just wanted to shit on your day, argue about everything. And uh, it was not, it was not a, uh, it was not as much of a enjoyable job. And that's Your office I, also didn't have a Dave. No, true. A Davo. Davo. Davo passed away, unfortunately. Did I tell you that? I think so. Yeah. Um, but it seemed like you, like the, the, the people that you worked with in South Carolina, you all got along pretty well. well and you didn't take the job too seriously. The cool thing about working at Enterprise is that this, the people that work there really, really bond. Even if you work with somebody for a month or for 18 months, a lot of those people were still friends. I'm still in touch with a lot of those guys. Um, and you know, I feel like I could hang out with them this weekend and we just kind of pick up like both times. And I think that is definitely a culture thing because the pay there fucking blew. Um, yeah, I think we were making minimum wage when you kind of looked at it overall, um, even though somehow I think maybe you were salary. I don't exactly remember how that worked, but the pay was terrible. It was hard, hard work, but the, the environment was a good environment. I think I do my best to make make that happen around this real estate office. But again, remember real estate agents are independent contractors. So it's definitely a different dynamic. And I feel like people don't work as hard here to keep their job in the sense they're not afraid of losing it. You know, because it's much more difficult to get fired unless you do something like egregious. Well, it's also that it's, it's not a steady paycheck in the same way that another job would be. And also, yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't have a steady paycheck. Um, Vince the Great, Vince the Great said we should just call each other um, <laughs> and catch up with each other instead of, uh, but <laughs> because we're taking him for granted as a viewer. Um, but Vince the Great, what I really want is I want your feedback on what the shittiest job you had was. If you don't want to stick around and share, you know, it's, it's too bad. Um, but, but, you know, really I think the best take home that somebody could get from this is knowing what to look out for going into a job. And I think that's tricky territory. I don't know how you can weed out. Obviously the pay's gotta be good. There's a couple of things you can identify in an interview that, that you should look out for. The, the first is like, try and figure out, like, ask what the turnover is. Ask how long people tend to stay at the company. That's a, yeah, that's good. That's good. They may not be able to answer that, but it's definitely a good they question. Should, if it's a good job, they should be able to. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, but we have very high turnover um, because people try, you know, and, and for a long time, yeah, but, very low turnover, but I started taking more chances on people because I realized some chances I take and I paid off really, really well. Well, the thing is high turnover in and of itself isn't a bad thing. It's can you explain it with a reasonable answer? So if I were to say, if I were interviewing at your company and say, what's the turnover like at your office? And you would say, well, it's high. I'd say, well, why is that? I would assume that you'd have a pretty decent explanation. Yeah, which, which, exactly. Which is why when I interview people now, 
I try to get them really excited because it's a fun job and great potential to make money and a lot of people making great money. But also it's very difficult to do and we're doing easy stuff, but it's kind of difficult. It's tricky to be super successful. Um, worst job I have is when I worked in retail, worked in the Disney store with a few other clothing companies. Um, yeah, retail, it seems to be a tough one. Um, Miss, Miss Gandy in property management and oh my God. Yeah. Was, I, 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 I didn't think that property management was that bad. Most people I know that work it like it. I'd, I'd like to know why she thought it was so bad. Missy, why was property management so bad? James, James is curious. I'm curious. I imagine it probably has to do with the types of properties and the types of people that are living there. I would imagine. That would be my prime suspect. Sure. That would also, the biggest factor would probably be location. Um, Lisa said, I worked as a massage therapist. Great money, but some experiences she could live without. I, mm. I can only imagine, but I'll bet you had great forearms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's, that's hard. Yeah. Therapy. That's like, it's like eating out. It's like quite the workout. Also, there, there's lots of people's bodies that you just don't want to touch. <laughs> Yes, there, I'm sure there's probably some people that you would not want to get involved with the, the touching part. Um, uh, so Missy said she's at a HUD property, which I can imagine why that would be a property that would not be as much fun to work at. Versus, yeah. I have a, a friend that works at a super luxury building on the east side near the UN. She gave us a tour of the building, one of the most luxurious buildings always doing cool stuff like she's setting up programs for the residents and like uh i can't even like she set up like a super bowl party for the residents and then obviously you get to partake in the super bowl party and i mean it's a badass building um or like a catwalk from one building to the other and it's, it's super tall it's got to be 50 stories tall at the, at the least um but I'm sure, like I said, it really depends on where, um, where you're located, what your, what your residents are like. Um, well, and also, yeah, the, the, another one is like, does management empower you to do, to make your decisions? To, cause like, so I, the thing is I want people to take, I want people to make educated decisions around here. But then I see some of the decisions that they fucking make. And did I tell you about the paper? I told you about the paper. Um, maybe. Somebody opened our last carton of paper, which is like 12 reams of paper inside. And basically they had like hidden the fact that they were, I don't know who it was, but they, they, every time they must've replaced the paper, they must've hid this box. So I thought we had this additional box of paper come to find out I just walked into the storage closet one day and there's no boxes at all and not only did someone use the last of the paper they never said that they used the last of the paper so now I'm like freaking out like how fast can I get paper delivered sure we have some extra reams hidden around here thank god but you never know we could have you know, a bunch of you know we could have several people come in to print a lease and then we're just sol but not only did they use the last of the paper and not let me know but they also hit the box in the, in the storage room on top of the filing cabinet, this empty box of paper. I don't, it was, oh man. Um, well, you're in a different kind of position because, because again, with, with 
independent contractors versus like more traditional employees? Yeah, it's definitely, I, I think it's more difficult managing independent contractors when the work that they do is all their work. Yeah, you have a lot less leverage. It's, yeah, there's, I think there's zero leverage. I feel like they're all my boss versus the other way around. So definitely, definitely gets a little weird in, in that respect. Um, but also I think dirty jobs, I think dirty jobs could probably, you gotta, you gotta be, uh, you gotta be able to disconnect a little bit. I think when you're at work, like if you're a garbage man, like you gotta at some point shed that shell and then go and you're living a different life outside of that. Um, outside of being a garbage man. Did you know that Larry Bird was a garbage man before he was in the NBA? Really? Yeah. And he actually spoke very fondly of that career. He's like, yeah, I love being a garbage man. Cause like there was a definite sense of accomplishment every day. That's good. I, I, I like that sense of accomplishment. That's why I think construction or something along those lines would be pretty cool because you, I mean, you're getting stuff done, given you're getting dirty, you're using your hands. Um, once I, once I transitioned into a management role in real estate, one, I gained a bunch of weight because like you go from being out running around all day to sitting at a desk all day and just worrying what you're going to get for lunch. But you lose that like hands-on thing. It's nice at first, but then you lose that really, really quick. And you just, you get kind of anxious and, and you want to go outside and go explore, which you can't do anymore. Because someone's always going to need you. What's up, Judah? Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, Layla's watching. Um, so what was your best job, you said? My best job's the one that I have right now. Accounting? Yeah, but specifically the firm that I'm working for, where they give me a lot of freedom and flexibility with how I do my job. My coworkers are all friendly. I can get help. If I need help on a project or I have a question, there's almost always somebody that I can ask. And that management, while I might not agree with 100% of the decisions that they come to, it's one where if I need to, I can talk to one of the partners and say, hey, I don't know why we decided to do this. Can, can you help me out and just give me something to go on? So I've got a responsive management team that genuinely seems to care about providing like a good workspace for their employees. And they don't, they don't make unreasonable demands of their staff. The work is what it is but they don't really micromanage me so I can make it what I want it to be. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, Second I mean, best was bartending for very much the same reason where like when I was bartending, once I established myself, the owner stopped telling me what to do. I just got to do whatever I wanted. As long as I was like doing my job, then she didn't really care about how I went about doing it. I, I think I would like bartending. I've never gotten involved with that because I don't think it's, safe for me to be around a job where so much alcohol is, is involved and free flowing. Yeah. But, but I do, but I have said, and I've, I think I said it when we started out that I don't think the moniker, you know, find something you love doing and do that for work. Like I enjoy going to bars, but then, and hanging out, meeting people and drinking, but then flipping that where I'm now standing on the other side of the bar serving people, does not that does not sound at all alluring to me. And well, my experience was after I bartended for long enough, it felt weird for me to be on the customer side. I I could see that. I could see that. 
Um, oh, yeah, but also you know everything that's going on on the other end, which probably makes you a great customer for that bar. Uh, yeah, as long as I don't go too overboard with it. But there'll be some times where I'll just I'll be sitting at a bar, especially like a busy place, and I'll I'll just watch their workflow and I'll see like how well organized they are, and. Like I've been at some places where I've seen people just crossing their paths because they, like their roles aren't very well set. And yeah. so all sorts of mistakes happen because people aren't staying in their lane because they haven't been instructed to, but then going to a bar that's well run and watching when everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing and seeing how quickly they can serve people good quality drinks or whatever. But yeah, so like now whenever I go into a bar, it's something that it's hard for me to turn off of just kind of seeing how the restaurant is run and kind of forming my own opinion on it. But just, I guess I, I was so used to being behind the bar and kind of being in control of the bar, that then turning into the customer where I'm in a much more passive role just yeah. feels weird. Yeah, I understand that. I totally get that. Um Anybody else want to add a bad job that they've had? I'm, I'm, I'm still curious. We got some more. Got a hello from Texas, Guerra. Um, anybody else with a bad job? So I, I'll run through my jobs real quick, see if anybody wants to add theirs. But I, uh, I worked at the church that I went to. I don't know if you remember that church. That was my first job. I worked as like a groundskeeper, kind of handyman type thing. And then at 14 years old, I also started ski instructing. Um, you did that as well. Yep. Pizza delivery, which I love doing. Um, I worked for both a wrestling coach in high school and my cousin doing kind of renovation, construction type stuff on rental property. I worked at um, the sports club there for about three years, doing basically doing front desk and then assistant manager. Um, I did some training there. Uh, and then I went and worked with, you remember my friend Joe? Um, I lived at in Latham. Yeah, I, I didn't know him very well. I didn't know that you worked for him. Well, he started a landscape design company. And we started, we started doing landscape design, basically, which was, if you think massage therapy is rough on your forearms, lifting rocks all day is literally like your arms are just burning all day long. Um, because you're using that, like, you know, this, this kind of motion all day and just heavy shit. That was a tough job. Uh, and you're out in the sun and you're fucking covered in dirt and shit. That was a tough job. Um, and then we went to South Carolina and I did some, uh, I did some landscaping for the, for the one psychic, did odd jobs, cleaning his car and shit. I know there's gotta be some other stuff I did in the meantime. I can't remember. That's pretty much it. And then you were just at Enterprise for Enterprise. the rest of your time in South Carolina. Oh, I worked. I did work retail. I worked in the mall. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Hollister. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't believe that slipped my mind. Um, that was a cool job because, one, probably because I didn't take it very seriously. I mean, I did the job, but I was just much more relaxed because, like, I could definitely afford to lose the job. Um, and I enjoyed working Monday through Friday at a regular job and then working the weekends because my social life wasn't that crazy at the time. But working the weekends, I was trying to save money. Working the weekends kept me making money rather than spending money. So, but also at Hollister, all your coworkers are attractive. 
Well, that I definitely had that going for me. That was that was a nice place to be. Um, and then uh, uh, and then real and then I transferred up here to New York City with Enterprise, and uh, and then that's when I got into real estate, and that was over you know a decade of of major transition. Um, and you know, with real estate, you're an independent contractor, so you really make it into whatever you want. I think we, you know, here we've made it into something pretty cool, which I'm, I'm happy for. It's going to continue to evolve, especially with this coronavirus shit. Um, but yeah, you know, and you go from being entry level where you're running around and, and doing, uh, anything that you can get your hands on to do, helping somebody any way you can learn to uh, being the one calling the shots, or at least you may not have to be the owner of the company, but you can be the one calling the shots for the team or the people that you're, that you're teamed up with if you bring the substantial amount of value. Like some of your senior agents or your lead agents? Yeah, if you're, if you're that person, you're bringing people on. I think really early on, anybody who's involved in real estate, once they get a bit of their footing, should hire an assistant. And that can be a paid assistant, or it can be an even newer real estate agent who's learning from them. Because really early on, you know the basics. Well, once it clicks, you know the basics. And even if it is early on, you're providing value to the people that are newer than you. And I think that you know, it's really about, about that, about providing value to other people. Um, but unless there was anything else that you wanted to add, I do want to touch... No. Arrogant Buckeye, let me shoot me a DM. I'm happy to talk about property in uh, in FIDI or business in FIDI. We'll, we can get into that. Um, for the rest of you guys that joined live, happy you made it. Uh, I had some major James. I don't know if you noticed, we played up with the camera angle a little bit. I just couldn't. Um, I couldn't interact with the other screen. It was all choppy. Uh, oh, that's fun. Um, we should tease Thursday though. Um, yeah. So Thursday we got um, we got. Let me uh, let me just pull up this guy's this guy's information. Hang on just a minute. We got Derek coming on board. Derek's got quite the past. Uh, he went from being homeless. Uh, Derek Kirk. Uh, you know, I should probably let him share more of his story, but he had a pretty good. Pretty good well, we can just tease the basics to get people interested. Yeah, he had a pretty good coming up story. What did he say? He was. Uh, um, he was in some boarding houses or something like that or he was an orphan. yeah but he he was homeless at one point and then he was able to get out of it and now he's running his own company and seems to be pretty successful so he's going to have i the thing that i'm going to be most interested to hear is just what what the reality of living on the street was like and how he got out of it and i don't know the answer to those questions we'll ask him on thursday well, i think i think what a lot of people are unable to do is make these upward moves in life and when you start so low, you ba you almost don't have a choice to you know to not move up if you start low enough. If you start low enough, and I think he must have felt that he was in that point and and started going in that direction. Um, but uh, yeah, he said at seventeen he was homeless, and homeless is different for different people. So I'm I'm really curious to hear his story. Um, I know he's probably got some of his own, his own stuff. He, he might want to uh, talk about a little bit, but really I want to get into his story. He said he's, he's comfortable sharing some of the homeless stuff with us. So I think, 
I think that could be pretty inspirational. I think we could really get some depth into into what it's like to be in his shoes. Yeah, he he's definitely had a very different life experience than either of us. So I, I'm interested to hear just how it's affected him. Exactly. Um, and uh, we're working on your barsupplies.com uh, affiliate there. So if you're if you're trying to buy some bar supplies, hold off on that, guys. James. Well, yeah, we should maybe maybe we'll do uh like another some point in the future another episode about some of the the drinks that everyone should know how to make. I think that I think that would be a, a really good idea because that's definitely an important topic um, for me at least. <laughs> I think a lot of people are interested in it because like if you pick up a recipe book for bar for like like cocktails or whatever and it's 800 pages long and you look at it and say I don't even know where to begin. No, you need a couple of staples that you like, there's some basic drinks that you like, some drinks that are easy to make. Some drinks that are difficult to make, but you, you got those. Yeah, down. some showy drinks. And then, yeah, and some good ones to serve to guests. Yeah, so, well, like, even when I was bartending, one of the things that I would talk with, like when other people from Food and Bev would come in, like sometimes it would be managers for other restaurants that would come in and have on a, have a drink with me on their break or whatever. And they would always talk about kind of like the 20 to 25 cocktails that you needed to know. I know that that's for being a professional bartender. I would say if you're if you're just – a hobbyist or whatever if you can like if you know seven to ten drinks down pat you're in good shape yeah no fair enough yeah especially if, if you're not having to order take orders in public um lastly before we sign off if you guys are watching us and you are not subscribed to the youtube channel sip talk just go search my name or search sip talk on youtube or anywhere you can find a podcast an audio podcast we are on there search sip talk you're going to find us even if you don't have the hour long to listen to us, subscribe, share some feedback. Love to hear what you got to say. Would love to hear your future topics. Um, I think uh, we get a lot of value. Uh, we take a lot of direction from the viewers and the listeners. So on that note, I'm going to cut us off. End of Sip Talk, episode 88. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, James. And uh, we'll catch up uh, with everybody soon. Thursday. Thursday, 6.30. All right, y'all be good. Adios. Yo, you watched that whole thing for real? Well, uh, I had to edit the whole thing. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, consider. I mean, you probably should at this point. You watch the whole thing. Liking this video or podcast. Subscribing to this video podcast or the audio podcast. And uh, commenting and sharing. The sharing is really important. That's going to help us grow. And we can explore more exciting topics and involve some more of the users. So uh, thanks a lot, and I hope to hear from you soon. See ya.